Welcome to Darkly Lit, where you can take your time to wander the showroom floor and lose yourself in our vast digital presence. Where you go, Darkly Lit will always be there. I'm your host, Kayla King, and I am joined by my other two amazing co-hosts. Uh, we have Sade. Tough titty, said the kitty. <laughs> <laughs> and my other co-host, David King. Available now from Orsk. <laughs> That's a pretty good bronze and beam show. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we just finished reading um, Horror Store by Grady Hendrix. Um, I would say this is a, uh, a horror comedy. Like, I think that's probably the best way it's, to describe I, it. Yeah, I'd say horror comedy, but the horror is actually horrific. Mm-hmm. I think it, well, the horror, some of the horror elements are definitely horror in that they're also a little gory i think it's cla- it's it's considered parody with the whole ikea theme mm-hmm. yeah i feel like i didn't wasn't so much funny to me it just felt more like a horror adventure like like i wanted to see this as a movie as i was listening yeah <laughs> me too I, actually uh david you want to give the summary real quick before we delve into this i guess i could do that so horror store is the story of five people, people who inevitably get uh, horribly stuck in a Ikea knockoff store overnight. But I'll start at the very beginning. That's the short, short version. The shorter version is that our, we follow our protagonist, Amy, who's a 20-something college dropout, kind of just living, working a, a dead-end retail job at the local Orsk in Cuyahoga, Ohio. She is not having a good time there. She doesn't take it very seriously. She's trying to avoid her manager, Basil. And comments throughout the story about how things at the Orsk have been going wrong since it opened about 13 months prior. It's weird little things uh, have been odd. Uh, malfun- you know, technical malfunctions, weird texts with only the word help going to employees, things like that. Or partners, as I should be referred to. This is very much an Ikea knockoff. Ikea does exist in this universe, but Orsk is its own thing. Eventually, uh, Amy is approached or is called to the break room with Basil and another uh, partner, Ruth Ann, and asked to stay at the store overnight in order to figure out why some of the furniture has been vandalized and why things have been odd about the store during the hours it's closed. Basil's hoping to use it to keep his job, and he's going to use it as leverage to not only pay Amy and Ruth Ann overtime, but also to potentially uh, get Amy what she wants. This is a transfer back to her old location in Youngstown. While this is all going on, they're overheard by two other partners at the store, Matt and Trinity. Uh, Trinity being particularly important here because she's a kind of pseudo new agey type who's very into the, or at least bubblegum <laughs> pop culture, mm-hmm. very into ghosts, very into the idea of ghosts. And it's through them when they sneak into the store later to confirm, to basically gate crash and try to film their own ghost hunter show that we learned that the Orsk was built over the site of a state of a penitentiary 
where uh, horrible experiments were performed on the inmates by Warden Josiah Worth. Uh, the prison disappeared a long time ago, and the swamp which it rested on is now the home of the Orsk. As the night progresses and the characters get further into the, the story, they are also run into a, a homeless man named Craig who is squatting in the store. Even with all the uh, nonsense going on, which is fairly lighthearted at the beginning, everything takes a turn when, with Trinity's insistence, they decide to perform a seance. Uh, the seance actually calls, jo- seemingly calls Josiah Worth's spirit out of nowhere. He takes over the body of Craig, who he presume, uh, promptly uh, murders by slitting his own throat, and then shuts out all the lights in the store. From there, it just turns into a delightful series of misadventures where Amy tries to find her way out, but gets thrown into a torture chair, rescues Trinity from a torture treadmill. The order of operations gets a little crazy after this. Uh, almost gets out of the store, goes back to rescue Matt and Trinity, watches Ruth Ann die as a result of her own fears and, well, being pulled into the darkness by the quote-unquote creepy crawlies. Has to go into a ghastly other world that is the echo of the... Presumably the echo of the Panopticon that came before. Uh, get Basil out of a death trap and then get locked in a knockoff Ikea cabinet while water is rising around her and then eventually have to swim away from a sea of rats. It's it's crazy. Uh, in the end, only Basil and Amy escape the Orsk with uh, Trinity and Matt presumably trapped somewhere, in not just in the store, but in the beehive, the Panopticon, that ghostly other world that everything came from. When confronted by Orsk staff, the Orsk sort of like uh, cons- consultation team that comes in, they're offered a promotion if they keep quiet about matters. And Amy refuses, goes into a fugue state, and uh, basically stops functioning for a while. Uh, eventually the Orsk is torn down, but when it's rebuilt as a planet baby on the same site, (laughs) Amy decides she's going to go back and try and find Matt and Trinity who are still probably trapped in that other world. And and in a bit of a bittersweet, but optimistic ending bumps into Basil who has thought the same thing. And the two of them, the the story ends with the two of them venturing into the store, planning on uh, finding the entrance and trying to save Matt and Trinity this time better prepared. Yeah. That, basically covers it wow yeah i tried to be a little more succinct with it but you know a lot happens in this story yeah and it's awesome (laughs) i'm gonna be honest right off the bat i really like this i've i've been wanting to read horror store for a while ever since i saw it at a public library and was just like this looks like an ikea cover wait a minute and i look at the illustrations one thing i can say is the book has some amazing illustrations in it and little like in-universe handouts for orsk like just uh, pamphlets and manuals and things like that. I especially love the chapter enter, uh, chapters being framed as advertisements for different furniture. Chapter one is the Bruca, for example, <laughs> the Bruca couch. And when you get to where things get really messed up, the devices that are being advertised start to become the torture devices that the warden and the penitents have been using. Now, all of us listened to the audiobook. I believe that is correct. Which is a bit of a shame. The book definitely, I think, is a an added layer. I didn't get to see mm-hmm. it until after. My friend and I had plans that we were going to go to Ikea just for fun. And then the lockdown started. And I was very disappointed because I was like, I love things and I love meatballs. <laughs> Maybe one day. Yeah. It's basically a retail Disneyland. Yeah, it is. In a lot of ways. Ikea is 
a fascinating store. It is unlike any other retail store. And the book describes it actually very well. It takes you a very long time to get through it. Even when there's like shortcuts, you still have to go down the stairs, go around people. The way it's described is very, very, very eerie in that it is like, yeah, I've been there. I've been to an Orsk basically, because <laughs> it's an it's just Ikea, but with a different color scheme. Mm-hmm. It's... And yeah, I could see it being extremely creepy at night. Like I, I do like all the, one of the things I think I do enjoy about the book is the comparison between an actual horror of ghosts and such with basically the, the, the minality of retail and doing the same work over and over. I think all of us have worked in a customer facing job at some point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have, I, fucking I majority of my jobs and there have been many have all been uh customer service and a couple of them were retail and they were probably the worst of all the jobs that I've ever had <laughs> yeah I, I like I, I worked at both um a restaurant and a store or a, like a, a mall store and god I never want to work at a mall ever again strangely enough it's not the customers for me it's more like the pressure to like, no, you have to sell stuff. You have to keep on a smile. You need to um, be as polite as possible. You you got to sell credit cards. If you don't sell 20 credit cards by the end of the day, there's something wrong with you. It gets very stressful. <laughs> like you have to put on like this persona. You have to put on that customer service voice. Mm-hmm. God, I, I don't enjoy that at all because I... I do feel like my voice gets higher mm-hmm. and I don't know, just it's, you kind of like, you like lose a part of yourself and you just kind of turn it into this like happy robot <laughs> and you are aware, you're aware of it and you can't really do anything about it except for maybe go into the back into like the walk-in freezer and scream. Well, to be fair, you can see why the um, like philosophical parallel is put in there between a prison where people were grinded down to their ba- most basic principles in order to make them more, uh, to make them pure. Mm-hmm. But in that case, they were being, it was, you know, it's very literal versus uh, metaphorical or uh, spiritual, but it's all three of them. So it's just like, it's the parallel. That's interesting. This, this uh, banal big box uh, experience with the retail workers and their, their drudgery is put on top of a place where very real drudgery happens and the souls of those trapped in there are so stuck, trapped in that prison, are so stuck there that even at the point when the warden is killed and they're told that they can be free, like they turn on the warden because of Amy's words, they are still just going through the motions. Mm -hmm. They still lock her in a Lyra pit. They they don't know what to do anymore, yeah. That's something, I'm not going to lie. It's in there. But I wish there was more of it in there. Because, um, say, you mentioned, like, it turns into an adventure. And I think that's the part that I'm kind of, like, eh, about with this book. Because I, I would have... There's, like, machinery that's in these chapters that never gets shown or brought up. Like, the crank. And it is said, like, Matt is supposed to work that crank over and over, like, 10,000 times. I would love to see him, like, maybe his hand taped down or, like hold on to it in a horrific way, just continuously moving and he's unable to move, but that never gets shown. 
And then there's this, uh, what was it? Like the the lullaby or what was the phrasing that was used? <laughs> the globe looking thing? Yeah. The, the, the little bod. That globe looking thing looks so cool. And the description of it, um, a ceaseless rotational machine that harnesses a primal forces of nature and turns them against your body. If you're left key, you'll simply experience vomiting and permanent brain damage. Where was this? This looks amazing. This never gets brought up. That one that one looked like something like if I saw that on a playground as a child, I would be so excited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get to see either of those two things. I thought it was like foreshadowing for all of them. Mm-hmm. The sad part is I think the ending did kind of work. I mean, one of the reasons the ending worked is it left it wide open. Not that I want there to be a sequel personally. I think it's great where it is. I should just stop there because there's no way a sequel could be could work as well as this, in my opinion. That being said, though, a big missed opportunity. I felt like things ended realistically and that Amy, once she found Basil, was like, we're going to die here. We need to get out of here, you mm-hmm. know? And it would have been weird if they'd gone back. But so for real, for I guess for a more like character motivation standpoint, it works. I think where my problem stands is that it's climb it, it's climax felt very just it was kind of over mm-hmm. and then it was just over and that's fine because I've complained about two big dramatic climaxes and other things that we've read <laughs> for example Cemetery Boys which I loved by the way I thought its climax was a little like oh my gosh it's a little big too bit too big and dramatic but because this felt like it was kind of an adventure story I wanted that I wanted Basil and Amy to go back into there a third time and see if they could find Matt and Trinity and rescue them, or mm-hmm. at least save their souls, what's left of them. But they're just kind of tossed to the wayside a little bit. We never even see Matt after he kind of gets separated from everybody. Yeah. Uh, he can't, He's just like, oh, I have to go over to Trinity, and then that's it. There's only one confirmed death, too, and that's Ruth Ann. Mm-hmm. Which, which is a bummer, because that was the only character that I even sort of kind of almost liked. <laughs> It, at least her death was horrifying. Yeah. And just heartbreaking. I'll, I'll give it that. What, I mean, what did you think of this book, Sade? I am kind of so-so on it. I did enjoy it in that it was kind of like a little horror adventure. And I was kind of picturing it in my head as a movie and shot in the same kind of like national treasure sort of kind of gimmicky way. But I wasn't super invested there were times where I was listening and I realized I was like not listening and I wasn't too Mm -hmm. it was only like a few seconds that I would like lose here and there but I wasn't invested enough to like go back and listen to what I had missed I think only one time I did go back so I am kind of like this was fun all right what's next kind of how I'm feeling about the book so I do feel like I'm not super opposed to the fact that we didn't get to see like oh what happened to Matt and what happened to Trinity and like why didn't we get to see those other devices um I don't know I'm okay with it I'm not angry I'm okay I'm not too disappointed but also I wasn't that hooked to begin with either so Mm. I couldn't be let down at the level that I was invested in is I guess what I'm saying that's yeah. that's fair. I would say it wasn't so much of a letdown as much as I go like, mm, well, mm. I don't know. I did definitely enjoy those elements where where it was like, oh, she's like grinded her fingers down to the bones, and then she takes her eyes out, and then just the very the like uh, the gruesome shit. Because I always enjoy mm. it. You could just 
put a fucking five minute clip of gore on in front of mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did enjoy that, and that was cool. That was great. I figured that'd be the parts you would like. I'm like, oh yeah, this gruesome stuff is definitely up Sade's alley. <laughs> I do enjoy the like the parallels of like oh working a mindless retail job where you're expected to just be mindless worker ants and then being dragged to this otherworldly place called the beehive where you're literally turned into a mindless drone which is what corporate wants you to be um so that was like wants you to be (laughs) (laughs) uh so I was like haha yeah and even with like uh the penitence did I say that right? Um, yeah. Who were like, okay, cool, we're free, but we're just going to keep doing the same stuff. Because did actually, like, get to me a little bit in that, like, like uh, I thought of my mother, who has been working the same job since I can remember. Well, not since I can remember, but for, like, a really long time. And just having – she has that mindset. She's of that generation that has that mindset that you are here to work the majority of your life and if you worked hard enough maybe you can rest the last few years of your life and that like is painful Mm -hmm. for me to realize about her and that's like what has become of these poor penitent souls and well not Mm -hmm. even like well they're worse off because it's gonna be forever (laughs) eternity um so yeah so like some levels of it i was like yeah this hits home this hits a level where it's like that's deep okay i respect that but then on like a surface level, I'm just like, okay, cool. That was fun. All right. Yeah. I, I can see that. Um, I think for me, there's parts that I really, really like. And I think that's what makes it a good experience for me. I do like the writing. I think he is, a, uh, Grady Hendrix is a good mm-hmm. writer. Now I've read this twice and I did read the book version um, first. And then now this time only listen to the audiobook. And I, I do still recommend the audiobook because- one of the interesting parts is um, they got Bronson Pinchot to read the Orsk parts or the Orsk flavor, which is amazing to me. So if for those who don't know who Bronson Pinchot is, he was bulky and perfect strangers. He's also in the movie uh, um, Langoliers, as well as the uh, gay guy from... Beverly Hills Cop. Basically, he plays... I don't remember who he was in Langoliers. I can clear that up for you in just a second, but I have to move away from the mic. Scary the little girl! <laughs> Lady! Basically, he does the most over-the-top performances and just choose scenery, and I love him as an actor because of it. So to have him read these parts like, available now from Orsk, join the Orsk family is just... There, I think if you know who he is, it makes it more amazing. <laughs> um, it's it, it, he's still a good reader, nonetheless. Yeah, but um, the I, and I do like that flavor text. I do like how there's that extra uh, things about like Orsk, and um, I, I think maybe it's better read as a book. In all, I think maybe that's what gives it that oomph. If you think about it, like if you read it as the book, and I, I've actually sent you guys pictures of like the different things that are added in there. Mm-hmm. It, it does amplify it. It does uh, add a, fl- uh, like a creepy flavor that I do like. And I, I do kind of like that language too, 
where it is double entendre. Like um, at the end of the book. We never rest. We never sleep. And we're inside your home. Yeah. Like it's supposed to be meant to be like, oh, look at how available we are. And then it's got that creepy entendre like, oh, that, that's some... No, <laughs> the way they they read that, the guy who read that, it's it's really good because it's like you're used to that commercial voice, you know, and it's it's always sounds pleasant and cheery, but you know, just change the words and it's still that pleasant cheery voice, but it's like so unnerving because it's you 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 get a sense of that corporate capital soulessness. <laughs> It's you know what it is. It's the retail yeah. voice. You know how you you the, like because you said your voice goes higher pitch. I do mm-hmm. the same thing. Hi, welcome to Orsk. How can I help you? He's got the he's got the he's you're the commercial voice for sure. That's mm-hmm. that's the retail voice. He's got that like the sh- the showman's like uh the the salesman voice. Yes, he's got the ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. In just ten minutes, the Main Street Electrical Parade. <laughs> you know, like it's that kind of voice. So, what about the characters? I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I felt for the characters for the most part. I like them. Um, I felt for them. Uh, by the end, the only—I mean, the only three characters that I really got invested in were Amy, Ruth, Ann, and eventually Basil. But it took a little bit for Basil. Well, Basil, I felt for a little early on after Ruth Ann had said, like, he's taking care of his younger sister. Orsk basically saved him. And I'm like, you know what? I've known people like this mm-hmm. who I've known people who um, basically appreciate a company who basically took them in and then they worked their way up through it. And it's because of them that they're like, I can actually feed my family. Yeah. So. I And that's why they are able to easily put a smile on their face and they genuinely believe in the product that they're selling. <laughs> I was invested in nobody which is probably why i was so so with the book because if i can't get hooked on at least one character then i'm dragging my feet through the rest of it um i did kind of like ruth ann but overall all the characters felt really one-dimensional to me even when they were like oh ruth ann's a sweetheart but she can fucking put you in your place still or like basil's such a fucking corporate like I don't know who we're looking for, but he's taking care of his daughter and like sister. sister. <laughs> Sorry, well, practically his daughter. She's nine years old. But yeah, I had a I had a hard time caring about the characters. None of them were like boring or like annoying or anything. But yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can see. I that. can see that. Do we have any final thoughts, or should we move on to the questions? Questions, questions, <laughs> questions, questions. Uh, so, uh, we did receive an email, by the way. Woo! Uh, yeah. What is our email? What is our email for listeners that did not know we had an email they can send their questions into? Uh, you can email us at darkglitpodcast at gmail if you want to send us your uh, questions or comments in an email format. Anyway, this one comes from uh, Dan or Urkelbot666. Hi, Dan. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm going to... Paraphrase? Yeah, it's a very long email, but I will start by saying this part. Firstly, I want to say thank you for what you do. I'm a fan of Undercooked Analysis and recently started listening to Darkly Lit 
seeing that you've discussed a lot of stories that I've read and enjoyed. In any case, this week I listened to a horror story on audiobook and I thought I'd get in on the discussion. So um, his pros is like, he loves the concept. Mm-hmm. Uh, he enjoyed the format. He also was ecstatic that Balky from Perfect Strangers <laughs> was in the audio. Uh, he enjoyed the seance scene. I did too, actually. That was really well done. The ectoplasm, I was like, man, I never see ectoplasm anymore. That I, I did love that touch. That was. Hey, I was going to say, as someone who appreciates ghostliness, the it was effectively gross and ghostly at the same time. Now, for the most part, gross stuff is usually what gets me. Not like in a, oh, this scares me. It's like more of a queasy way. And this is the one part that I've ever read where it's like, oh, okay, that makes me feel queasy. Oh, but it, it works. It's really well done. Uh, he said he also liked the epilogue where uh, Amy and Basil went back. I really did like that part too. And then he also liked uh, Amy's inner thoughts as well, especially when she was in the restraint chair. I will admit, as someone with depression, I've had these thoughts. So yeah, that is, I, I will agree that is well done. As for the cons, he said he doesn't think Horror Store earned its scares. There were scary classic elements, but felt like some of it was a bit for more shock value than anything. Well, I feel like the part with Amy in the chair was what got to me, too. Well, also her being sealed in the lyre pit. Those, mm-hmm. those both tacked on their primal fears I have about uh, being buried alive and or being restrained to the point where, uh, you know, sensory deprivation and lack of movement. He also said he wasn't too fond of the pacing either. He said after the seance, things got kicked into gear, but so much was happening. He didn't feel like it was registering. So kind of like what Sade said, like, there would be points where he would probably zone out and be like, oh, what was that? Oh, okay. We were halfway through the book before we even got to the seance, pretty much. Yeah. So that was kind of, it felt like once the ghostliness started happening, once the haunting started occurring, things kind of went, go, 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 go. I liked the pacing up to that point, And then I thought it got kind of like, whoa, we're just going. And then like, it was, it could have spent more time, I don't know, giving us more to work with. I don't know. He also said, what was the deal with the help text messages? I could throw a theory out for that. Go for it. Just in that, like, well, one, like, you're already in a space where time is kind of difficult to keep track of. And then you're, you've got this added layer of you're going into literally like another world or another dimension where, where, well, how does time function there? So my theory is actually that those help texts that were coming from the beginning were actually probably were from Matt in the future because time does does whatever the fuck it wants <laughs> time is not not you don't get you know what i mean because you expect <laughs> the world so like the the texts are just going that's how i feel that little gap but who knows i hadn't thought of it that way but that that could that's one really cryptic way you could do it i just assumed it was a way for the spirits just the spirits in general to reach out and, and ask for help because i don't know if they ever confirmed where the the, the help texts were coming from number wise mm-hmm. no not the initial ones not the ones before all the stuff started to happen but then the the ones after are coming from matt's number and who's say what this was beforehand maybe mm. there were other people who got stuck here. maybe it was amanda cohen who went missing <laughs> I, I actually did look that up. Yeah, Amanda Cohen is uh, the author's wife. So it's, so it's it's a cute little gag. She still went missing though, according <laughs> to Orsk. His uh, his wife disappeared in that universe. I do like his closing statements. He says, "In closing, I equate horror store to having a threesome because your partner thinks it would be hot. In theory, it's really cool and exciting, but afterwards, you feel a little weird and confused." <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, then. Actually, thank you for uh, commenting on this. It's great to hear back. Thank you for the email. Yeah. Great to hear Thanks, back. Thanks, Dan. From. Yeah. It's rad. Um, and you, I would equate it to, uh, I, the closest thing I could equate, to, equate it to is making out on a bruca in the middle of a brightly lit store. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, Matt and Trinity. <laughs> Okay, here's um. So here's our other questions. Uh, we got some questions from Bringer again. Thank you, Bringer, for consistently bringing in questions. You've been an awesome listener. Do you think the people that didn't make it out are still alive? More or less, I think. In my opinion, they're lost, like the penitents. They're mm-hmm. trapped in that other world, in the beehive, and they're gonna. If they're not, if nothing's done about them soon. They're, they're effectively lost souls, not really dead, but not really alive either. That's the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Eventually, they're going to end up like the penitents, just hollow shells, you know? I can see that. Yeah, that makes the most sense to me too, yeah. I mean, already Trinity was starting to delve into that. His next question, did going through this experience help or hinder our main character, Amy? Both? Mm-hmm. Because she it, it fucks her up really badly psychologically, but... In the end, when she goes back with all the stuff to like, she says, I like she tells Basil, like, or she says she has a hard time in it, but she wants to feel like she felt that night. She has a purpose now, but her purpose is to basically just get Matt and Trinity back. It's like a double, I think it's double edged. It's like, you know, you have in a lot of stories when you go through an ordeal like that, like a, like especially a a fantasy adventure, (laughs) something over really extreme like this, where, you know, you're swimming away from a wave of rats. Uh, (laughs) um, It's going to, you're going to come away with it. Like maybe you're either going to come away with it. Like, you know, uh, Luke Skywalker or Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo just wanted to go home and retire at the end. (laughs) I think what it was is she had survivor's guilt. Yeah. And it was sort of a, like she, she in her her bones, she knew that Matt and Trinity were still in there somehow. Like she couldn't leave that unresolved. And I think it was, it's a matter of like it was like survivor's guilt and also that need of like it's not over. You need that closure, mm-hmm. which is why she couldn't bring herself to do anything until she went back. Because her whole, she was all, I have to get everybody out. I have to get everybody out. But she only was able to get ba- uh, Basil out. So she she had purpose that she couldn't fulfill until the store reopened as Baby Planet or Planet Baby or whatever. <laughs> Planet Baby. Uh, I think that's, I don't know. So I guess the question would be is if making the assumption of maybe she does get Matt and Trinity out. Is she then a better person after that and able to pursue other goals or other, another purpose? Or is she then again left with like, well, now what do I do? Back to Desperate Housewives, I guess. <laughs> that or she's going to be like, I'm going to go kill Tom Larson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that's one. that one's hard to say without um, knowing the outcome of, of what would come next. Uh, was the homeless dude ever real or was he always the word? And I believe he was real. I believe he was real. I think he was real. I, I, I did really talk about Craig, but he was there. Yeah. I, 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 I don't blame him for wanting to skulk in an Ikea. Cause if you're homeless and <laughs> you could cheap meatballs and <laughs> get to uh, crash on a, on a 
I don't know. I don't remember what the models of the beds Bruca? were called. Bruca? Bruca uh, was the couch, but... Bruca was the couch. Let me look at these pictures <laughs> one more. I don't know if they ever talked about any of the beds, though. Uh, or no, they did. They, they did. One. Oh, it's musk? a... Uh, something movie. It, it, it's a musk. A musk, musk. yeah. Yeah, retreat, <laughs> retreat to a private island where you can find the rest you need nesting in a cli- cloud high above the cares of the world. That's it. Yeah, it's a musk. <laughs> Craig... And also had like a little bit of a story, but eh, it just added to the, the silliness of the whole thing. I think Craig was real. I think he, the character was just a means to an end. Yeah. We had to have a body count in the story. <laughs> if it was just, if it was just Basil, story. if it was Basil and Ruth Ann and Amy, it would have been kind of small. So they needed to add like three more. So we got Matt, Trinity, and Craig. And then uh, he commented, the novel did a really good job with visual stuff of a furniture store as I've never been to an Ikea. And yeah, I think that's actually one of the strong points. It really describes Ikea very well or like an Ikea-like store very well. Mm -hmm. Like it's like, uh, like you said earlier, say this is very visual and I would love to see this as a movie. Yeah, I think it actually would make a really fun like TV series, like mini series. Because then you'd like start each episode with like an ad for a different piece of furniture or something. I think that'd be cute. So uh, I might as well just say this. This will actually become a movie. Oh, snap. So, uh, well, originally it was going to be a TV show that was picked up by Fox or the Fox had ordered a pilot episode. And um, which I'm not sure how great it would have been, but it was going to be produced by Charlie Kaufman who he directed uh, being John Malkovich and Eternal Sunshine and Spotless Mind, which, oh. yeah, but like, mm, I don't know. It, and it, he walks through Masonzik and ends up in a world where everybody is Amy. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the project fell through um, and it's actually now becoming a film instead. It, the film rights were acquired by New Republic Pictures. They already got producers, and then Hendrix will serve as an executive producer. Another thing, too, Grady Hendrix has worked in film. He actually has written two scripts. Uh, he co-wrote uh, the film Mohawk, as well as the horror comedy film Satanic Panic. Neither of these films I've seen or had ever heard of before this. Anyway, uh, we also got a question from Fangsway, which actually, would there be any merit in a sequel, or would that ruin what's on its own, a fantastic book. I want to lead toward the latter. I kind of said so earlier. It's see, it sets, it's like got that open ending, mm-hmm. and I want to leave it as an open ending instead of having to fill it in with a sequel. I feel like the ending helped justify a lot of it for me. I actually did really like the ending of it because it made it feel like it was going to be yet another adventure, a dark horror adventure, but an adventure nonetheless. Would it be fun to see? Maybe, but I don't know if it could be pulled off as well because now we know the mechanics of what's going on, at least to a degree. I also feel like it would probably be better as a single piece. Uh, I think you could probably do something with a sequel. Usually when I think of sequels, I think it's usually better with a different group of people for the most part in these type of things. Like how would other people react to it if there was another store that was in place instead of like an Ikea-like store? I know that the newest one is um, Planet Baby. And actually, um, I, I sent you guys this picture because it's not on the audiobook. But in the book, uh, there is a picture at the end that uh, is supposed to be like, a, oh, no, situation where, yeah, it's the Planet Baby 24-hour sleepy time. 
Um, 24 hours. Now. Doors open at 6 a.m. and stay open until 6 a.m. the following morning. So much fun. You'll never leave. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. What's going to happen? Oh, no. But uh, I don't know. Like, uh, I don't want to think of it like in an Ikea-like store. Maybe like, maybe something like a Costco or... <laughs> <laughs> Could you mention a horror story in like a Costco? Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> Don't eat the free samples. Don't eat the free samples. <laughs> you know, this didn't really get brought up, but actually I just thought of this. Ne- near the end when the consultant team comes in and they're very, very quick to offer Basil and Amy promotions with Tom Larson's email scribbled on the back of a card as long as they don't talk to people and they're gonna get everything handled. Do you think Orsk has dealt with this before? And it give, the reason I say this is because think about it. If you're a giant retail chain and this is such an obvious sign that like uh, the supernatural exists, how often does a mega corporation build something on a haunted spot and have to deal with the results and have to cover it up? I mean, like one of my theories that I took walking away from the book with baby planet or planet baby, whatever, uh, is that it is owned by the same parent company as Orsk because like, they have you know the same spiels and whatnot in their training and and everything so if i were doing a sequel or like what i would see in my brain as a sequel is like oh there's all these like chain stores that are actually all connected to some other worldly plane that have like manifested from like different things and so like maybe you have another character at a store like across the country and they somehow end up in the same place and they <laughs> run into Amy and, and Basil trying to find their friends. Or they run into Amy and Basil having failed and are trapped in their devices or something. Ooh. What if like or what if every retail location that's built on is built specifically on a haunted spot, but it's not in the same haunted spot? Mm-hmm. So you could have different portals to different horrible uh planes, not just the the Cuyahoga panopticon that would be fun i think altogether my final thoughts is i do enjoy this book i really do like it but i think for the most part it's due to how good the writing is and the flavor i think some of the story could be a bit better i think my least favorite part is the flood part i'm not gonna lie when it got to the flood i just i kind of tuned out i realized the part that i really tuned out was when the warden was preaching Mm-hmm. I, t- I tuned out for a lot of that. Like at the end? Yeah, when he was like talking to, to Amy, I think if she was in the chair or something. Uh, a lot of that mm-hmm. I very much tuned out, but uh, the rest of it was it was fun. This was a f- fun book for me. With not my favorite book. Definitely not a contender for um, my favorite book, but it's our first book of 2021, so we'll see what, what else we get. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I still would recommend Mexican Gothic over this. Oh my God. Mexican Gothic and Cemetery Boys, like they will hold a special place in my heart forever. This was fun. I will agree. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Um, I think it has a neat premise and some fun bits. And uh, for that reason, I uh, I enjoyed it. Is it a favorite? I don't know. We only just started the year. Yeah. But yeah. I, I tend to me- lean more toward liking it. Same. So. Yeah. It was a fun start to an already stressful year <laughs> uh, well hey on the on the plus side 
at least we kind of anticipated it was going to be stress- stressful. We weren't blindsided like 2020. True. Very true. Our next uh, book we'll be reading uh, is actually a collection of short stories. Uh, we will be reading The Secret of Ventriloquism by John Paget. Yeah, go go look into that, please, and uh, read along with us. If your local library has it, get that to there, too. Always support your local library. They are treasures. Or a local bookstore. Or a locally owned bookstore, yes. Support your independent bookstores, everyone. Listeners, if you have suggestions on books you think we should read, you can always tweet that to us as well or email that at us, too. Hey, Kayla, what's that email again? Podcast at gmail.com. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> Do we have any uh, things to plug coming up? Um, of course, listen to our other podcasts on the Creative Horror um, channel at creativehorror.com, as well as our YouTube page. Well, as of right now, we'll probably have finished the Creepy Cooking Staff Writing Challenge. So if you're interested in hearing the results of that, which ran last year until the end of November, uh, we will have a UCA episode up that uh, gives the uh, the top three and, uh, you know, gives you the scoop, the real scoop on the winners of that competition. We had enough entries to make it justified. And I want to thank everybody for entering once again. Uh, we will have the results of that on Undercooked Analysis either very soon or right now, depending on when this releases. <laughs> <laughs> I do plan to actually release uh darkly lit episodes on the youtube channel um hopefully by the end of this month we'll i'll be adding them uh little by little so that way people can listen on listen to them on youtube i'm running out of batteries of this for this flashlight so maybe we shouldn't blow out the candles the vanilla scented candles that we have oh no wait i found batteries here we go so uh should we try and cut through bedrooms to get back to the market floor just as long as we stop for meatballs Okay, that's fine. Go ahead and blow the candles out. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinara, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>